just the reaction I expected. Thank you. Perfect, perfect. You're a very operatic audience. It's a wonderful privilege to have Willard with us tonight. One of the great, a voice, a great gift from God that this man possesses. I just heard them, I heard, heard oh, from someone. I just heard him rehearsing. And it's a, a, a thing of great beauty, a, a miracle. It's a wonderful thing to, to hear and be close to, like you're going to be a little later, because Willard's got a, three songs for us to sing. Uh, he, appearing in Orpheus in the Underworld, for us at the moment, he had a Zitzprobe this afternoon, so he's quite nicely warmed up, I think, Willard, would you say? This is your opinion. No, it's a, it's a, it's a question. It's a question. Uh, what warmed me up was this wonderful welcome here. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Inspired me to do what I don't know. <laughs> so I asked Willard earlier when, when he became conscious of finding his voice. And quick as a flash, he said, 10th of October, 1946. <laughs> My mother was in labor and after a certain period... <laughs> Of Willard and a voice emerged, and since then, he's uh, become a great friend of English National Opera, a, an artist we always thrilled to have in the house. And how 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 was your first acquaintance with the company? Uh, it was nice. Are you, sh are you sure? Are you sure about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Was it nice for everybody or just, just nice for you? It was nice for me. Um, sometimes what's nice for me affects other people in a different way. <laughs> um, but I've been discovering that's how this thing that we have called life, that's how it unfolds itself in its magic. Sometimes we resist and sometimes we um, ride along with it. So um, your question, I, I told him something about my first, um, my first working experience at this wonderful English National Opera. Why am I holding this? Can you hear? I, th I think yeah. they... Oh, they're uh, Hello. Oh, it doesn't... Yeah. Well, yeah. And, um, and so I mentioned this little... Um, experience I had where I was contracted to sing in 1970-something um, Zarastro in the Magic Flute. Well, I had done the role at the Juilliard and um, explored it in various ways before coming to the UK and um, I admired the man Zarastro and um, I thought I could emulate and there was one um, about four days before the opening, or one week before the opening performance, um, which was going to be my debut, I got to one of the low notes at the end of my aria, and about two guys in the chorus did it better than I did. <laughs> and they giggled behind me. And I thought, I don't need to live with this. And so the next day, I asked my wife to come in, and my agent, and I, we, I sang one scene, and I went out to them with my costume, and I went into the auditorium, and I said, so, 
what do you think? And they did this amazing response. They looked at each other. And I said, fine, that's it. You tell them that I'm not doing it. I'm going to my dressing room to change. And I'll see you outside. And my agent went, and I didn't wait for his response. And so my contract was um, closed. Terminated. <laughs> Terminated. Well, until six months later, or a few months later, they offered me um, to do uh, the coronation of Popea, Seneca, which I did. And then I left again. <laughs> I left because, you know, at the time, um, I found it a bit strange as a newcomer to the, this world of um, living with our voices and the music and sharing, that in the break, or before the breaks, the, the guys were ordering their beers, you know, for the, for the interval. And, you know, and there would be, and I, I didn't want to be a part of that. And the atmosphere was something that I couldn't change. So I decided that, actually, no, I, I won't stay here. So I left. But here I am again. <laughs> and I've been back several times. With pleasure. And have you left other jobs? You don't have to tell us, but have you uh, made that a habit in any way? Because for well, me, it was, it's a, not a, habit. It was a complete know, surprise to me, for sure. A conductor said to me um, a couple of years ago when I sang a phrase, he said, um, no, no, Willard, not like that. And I said, um, oh, I was singing it that way because it related to so-and-so. And he said, no, no, I'm the boss here, and that's how you'll do it. Ooh. <laughs> I said, that's fine, but the only thing is, I don't have a boss. And all my colleagues found something on the floor that they lost. <laughs> it was just myself and the conductor looking, and we're looking at each other, and I really do not have a boss. And I decided that, you know, when I was leaving Jamaica, because I didn't want to be an opera singer at all, because um, it's sissy stuff. No real man <laughs> would, would actually ever do that. For the girls, no? Wouldn't you say? Yes. <laughs> but um, this thing that we talked about, that I mentioned, life, I love it. You know, you plan something, Okay, it should go like that. Okay, let's go. And the train doesn't work, or something, you know, to sort of gets in the, gives you an opportunity to discover who are you? Who am I? This morning I was discovering a new voice. I've been singing for at least six years, and I'm discovering a new, that was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> But I, I love this thing because um, I remember being 27 years old. You didn't ask me a question. <laughs> I remember being 27 years old and one day I, 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 <clears throat> I found it. Uh, you know, I, found, I found this place. This is, this, this is a place. And I, I didn't want to go to bed that night because maybe I'd lose it. I'd, I'd lose it. And I, but I had to sleep. And the next morning, could I find it? <laughs> no. And then that became a frustration. 
But then I also learned that the frustrations of life can be the window to a fantastic experience. So are you now saying you were about 27 when you found your voice? The voice that we know. How, how did he get that from what I just said? <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a version that you could present. No, I'm asking. That's me asking you a question. Oh, no. So were you? No, no. I, I, no. I can't. I'm not the boss, will I? Do? I'm not the boss. <laughs> I know. I know precisely who's the boss in this room, and I. I I'm not the boss. No, exactly. Don't believe in it. So where were you when you were 27? Just out of interest, had you left Jamaica, or was that still? Were you still in Jamaica? No, I was in New York. So can you tell us a little bit of how you made the, the move from Jamaica to New York and what was the inspiration for that? Well, there was a, an airline. Um. <laughs> you know, I could be awkward too, if you like. I'm not being awkward. <laughs> awkward at all. There was an airline called Air Jamaica and my father booked me this flight. But before that, why did he want to book me this flight? <laughs> okay, I'll tell you the story. <clears throat> I, I um, at age 5, 6, 11, 12, 11, at 11 years old, I, I remember stepping in a bus in Jamaica and I had to say something to the bus driver. And he turned very sharp and said, Boy, where the hell do you get that voice from? and people would laugh at me. And, um, but if, and, and along that journey, there were, there were many things. I had the instruction in my life that what you're doing is not, that's not the way. There, there's another way. You know, don't, don't, the don't. The controlling parent who's desperate for um, uh, being right and uh, be a, a brilliant teacher when you want to learn something else. The child, the journey of the child is quite amazing. We've all been, we've all, every one of us here has a story for being a child and somebody pushing you the way that you don't want to go, but, you know, here we are. That, that resistance must be for a good reason, I think. Anyway, I wasn't particularly happy as a child, but I sang a lot, I heard. And um, there was one particular day you asked me how I, when I discovered my, my voice. I discovered the power, the power of, of singing. Because I was very sad after being told off for about the 587th time that week um, about my inadequacy. <clears throat> and I didn't like that place because I wanted to be not even adequate, but to be really terrific. <laughs> you know, to be, yes, hey, that was, that was really good what you did. No, I didn't hear that. And so I was sitting, believe it or not, at the end of my garden in Kingston, there were two coconut trees, and I sat under the shorter one because it wasn't so healthy, and the nuts were smaller, so if anything <laughs> fell from the tree, um, I wouldn't be injured. So I'm sitting there thinking, I, I 
feeling good. I, I don't like this. And my consolation um, in that time of sadness would be, I wasn't with my mother at the time. My mother was looking after a little farm that we had um, in the countryside, and I would go to my mother during the vacation time. And there I could let my hair down <laughs> and um, be in the comfort of my mother, my mother who loved me and never told me once that she loved me. But, you know, the, the experience that I had was pure love. And um, but then at 13 years old, I was just about this size. And there I was under this coconut tree thinking that you cannot, with any dignity, go back to your mother now and rest on her lap and, and, and moan and cry. So what are you going to do? Now it's, it's up to you completely, but I don't know what to do. All this going on in my mind. And I thought, I don't want to be 25 or 30 and, and experiencing this, but I don't know what to do. And a voice came in my little head and said, sing. And I thought, go to hell, there's nothing to sing about. I only sing when I feel good. Oh, this is horrible. I don't want to go on like this with this knot in my stomach and become a 40-year-old man and sad like this. There must be another way. And the voice came again. Same tone. Same. And the only sound, song that I thought of at the time was one that went, smile. is still worthwhile when you smile. What's the use of crying? Smile, though you feel like dying. You'll see the sun come shining. I could use this as a weapon and smash that person who caused my unhappiness. And I thought, no, no. This is the thing you've been looking for. Because it's inside. This is the arm you've been looking for somebody to say, it's okay. This is the love that I've been longing for, which I discovered, you know, the thing that we long for, nobody can give it to us. We have to start living it and expressing it and, and freedom of expressing it helps to develop that thing that we're looking for. It's fantastic. You are in charge. Yes. To a, very, to a certain degree. Yeah, certainly in charge of our reactions. I'm going to put this thing away. Um, so uh, that's how I discovered the power. Because I, my, my whole being was totally transformed. I became a different person. This voice of mine um, just uh, was showing me things. And it's still teaching me things uh, about life. But as I said earlier, singing is for the girls. I didn't want to follow that. My path was to become an economist. <laughs> a real man <laughs> with a briefcase. People look at me and say, 
Mr. White. <coughs> and maybe I'll have uh, my name emblazoned on the door. <laughs> Mr. <coughs> Willard White. Yes, that was my tree. It's only put on dressing room doors now. Yeah. <laughs> It's put on dressing room doors all over the world. And look, we just had a little taste of Willard singing. He's got three songs to give us tonight. And I think probably now might be as good a moment as any to start. And Willard's going to sing some, some Verdi for us to begin from Simon Bocanegra. And uh, he's, he told me, I'm sure he'll, he'll reveal the significance of this particular aria to him. I think it's gone, it goes back a long way in his early stages of his uh, development of this wonderful voice that's in him and still coming out of him and still teaching him things. So we're going to have a little bit of Verdi from uh, Willard, accompanied by the wonderful Caroline Jayamert. Um, I think I was 23 years old. Now, having braved the, the power of New York City and the force of the Juilliard School, I was invited to participate in a master class being run by a lady called Maria Callas. <laughs> And I sang this piece then, and she said some amazing things. Um, a, a couple of friends of mine I met up with in New York a couple of years ago was saying, you know, she spent so much time with you that day. I mean, she, she, and yes, she did. And she was telling me after I sang the thing, she sang it herself, which blew my mind that she knew the aria, and she sang it. And um, she told me about certain um, pauses that I could take. And she said, let them wait. The way you finish the previous phrase will inspire them to wait. Because it's clear that you know what you are doing. <laughs> some of the, but then I, I, I used some of those suggestions in a you know, the audition uh, a few weeks, I think, later in San Francisco for the San Francisco Opera, um, and a gentleman named Kurt Adler um, was the intendant, and I sang this piece, and afterwards he said to me, mm, Mr. White, very interesting some of those pauses. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the job. <laughs> I think I did one other audition after that in my whole life. So, here it is. Oh, it's Il Accerato Spirito. She's terrific, isn't she? Took all sorts of liberties, there she was. Right on the ball. And rather an unusual piano situation tonight. Yeah. Lectern iPad, battery pack, holding up the iPad, uh, absolutely, ENO at its best. <laughs> Resourceful and practical. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Willard, that was tremendous. Uh, it's so wonderful to be close up to the, 
the, the sound, isn't it? Absolutely, you can feel the, the air vibrating. One thing that always fascinates me about singers is how you keep your vocal health. How, how do you keep sounding so fantastically fresh and young and you know, wonderful? I mean, I can feel my voice going already and I'm only 60. So, you know, what do you do? What's your, you don't have to share any particular magical tricks, but do you have a regime or...? <laughs> I thought as much. I thought as much. Can we can we get the prescription? Well, you know, I, I have to say that I've been asked that a few times. Colleagues have asked me, and they, you know, people say, "Oh, when my son turns whatever, whatever, I'd like him to be like you." I said, "No, don't you wish that on him? <laughs> Let him be the best man that he can be." But for me, I find it, I find it most fascinating because um, I was telling one of my colleagues today, I said, this morning, this morning I was discovering yet another aspect of my singing that I could actually engage with and see if it would work. And sometimes I, um, before performance, I remember the last thing I was doing a few weeks ago, one of my colleagues came and said, hey, Willard, have a good, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? You want to have a good show tonight? I said, you know, I feel like I am on the verge of my potential. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> After all these years, you haven't reached your potential yet. I said, yesterday I reached one. <laughs> and um, today I'm on the verge of another. And it has a continual experience. And I think, in a way, that contributes to a certain, it certainly contributes to an attitude in the general experience of life. Because many times we try to fix something. The thing is, has already taken place. You can't fix it. But we can choose another way of reacting. That's the power, I think. That's the excitement. And I find that there is a fantastic that place of frustration that I talked about at age 27 when I found this thing and then I couldn't do it the next day. That is a fantastic gift because um, you know, with singing, look what happens. The guy stands up, he goes by and he goes, uh, it's gone. If I don't like it, there ain't nothing I can do about it. I guess it was. Well, it wasn't really what I wanted, you know, but you, will you accept my apologies? And you look at me and go, no way. It's gone. You can't. So that's my joy. I, I, I've used that as my joy of um, the, um, what now gives me, because it's gone. Now, uh, what do I do with it? Why am I here? I don't even know the next word I'm going to say. And if you notice when you're speaking, you don't actually know the next word you're going to say. There's some 
something uh, inspiring or inhibiting. <clears throat> Who chose it? Who chooses it? Who says you must look a certain way? Something in here is telling us we can play another record. Some Schubert, perhaps? <laughs> Schubert? I have a picture. And I was fascinated by one of my colleagues saying to me the other day, he said, you know, I find that in this business, I, you know, when I, when I used to do mathematics, it's, I found that, you know, you can solve a problem, but with this business, I mean, there's, there's no, you know, it's just too easy. And then you hear this person sing, and you're like, mm-hmm, you think it's easy. Because it's going, I don't know. But this song, I like it because there's one, there are a couple of lines in it. It's a, it's a description of, a, of, a, of our journey of life. Der Wanderer. And um, in one section of it, he talks about, um, where is this land that I've been looking for? This land where, where my language is spoken, where the, you know, the friends I know are there and everything is fantastic. Uh, where is it? And he talks about being a, a stranger everywhere. That's me. Everywhere I go, I'm a foreigner. Even in my own country, Jamaica, they, I go there and I'm talking to someone and they say, where are you from? <laughs> I was born here. <laughs> no, no, you have a good accent, but no, no. Thank you again, Willard. Thank you. I hope you don't feel a stranger overall here with us, because we, yeah, you do. We, we. It's not a bad thing being a, being a stranger. No, it's an opportunity no. to get to. Yeah. To well. Know. It's nice to get to know you. We don't feel that you're a stranger to us, so that's, that's very nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But I'd, I'd like to say something about that song again. Of course. Because that last line perplexed me for a long time. There, where you are not, there is the happiness. What does that mean? What a rubbish, I thought. I mean, what is that? I mean, it doesn't... Then I realized... It's this psychological journey. If you spend all your time saying, gosh, you know, when I was, when I was down that place there 10 years ago, it was the most fantastic time. I, you know, look at this here. Now, you know, this doesn't really measure up to it. You know, and, 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 you know, and I had these wonderful friends. And they, you know, they're generous friends. And these people here, you know, it's, it's such a mess. And, I, and you can go on and on like that, and you're not where you are. Quoting on happiness, thinking that you're expressing expressing happiness by ex talking about your past experience or, or experience that you dream of, but here, now, that's where it is. You've got the power. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. That's what you think. <laughs>
So one thing I would like to ask you, we didn't talk about this earlier, but I remember you're a wonderful storyteller with your music, and it's just you, your physical expression, you, even if we don't know the words, you kind of understand the emotional content of what Willard's expressing. So one thing, maybe if you, if you care to share with us, I know you played the role of Othello in, in Trevor Nunn's production of the play, how did you how did you find that experience, and does it compare with singing, or was it a, was it a completely different experience? Uh, yes, it was. That's it. Yeah, it was um, a different experience, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it was not more difficult or easier, but it was different. But I imagine it was totally different, wasn't it, it to was, not it having the music? It was as different as carpet and Broadway. Um, the, Trevor asked me to do this because um, we were doing Porgy and Bess together at Glyndebourne, and Trevor Dunn had, had um, inspired us to find our real selves in the real situation, which wasn't a foreign agent to me because that's the only way I could sing. I have to sing with a picture. I, there's a gift there, you tell the story. And, um, and every time, you know, I, I sing, no matter how many times I've sung the song in the past, it becomes a different story because I've changed and so many things and it's, it's wonderful and nothing is ever the same all the time. So um, Trevor saw it and he said, you. You are an actor. You have a line. You, you follow the story, and you, I can see you going through the whole thing. And there is this line, and you can see where it starts and where it's going. You go on a journey. I said, so? He said, but not everybody does that. All these other they don't do that. I said, and I said, I've got an idea for you. So he asked me to do Othello. And I always fancied myself as an actor. <laughs> I directed the plays when I was in high school, and I thought, yeah, if it weren't for certain things, I would be an actor. I could make a scene, tell my own stories, and people would walk out of the room <laughs> or fall asleep. Anyway, so I thought, um, yeah, it's a great opportunity. So I said yes, and I canceled um, engagements to embark on this life-changing mission. Boy, oh boy, I did, did I have a life-changing opportunity. I mean, it, it's, Trevor said, for example, I said the whole thing, and the play lasts four hours at a certain pace, and Othello is in almost every scene. And he's got, you know, speeches, you know, 35, 50 lines long. And um, you have to be a really good composer to actually sculpt your way through 35 lines and make it interesting towards the end that nobody will find out that we're actually stuck in one place, not knowing where we're going, but there is a journey that we're on, and you follow that journey to the end, and then you might find that's not the end of the journey. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> and um, so I thought, well, yeah, I can do that. And so he said, don't, don't try to memorize it. Just read it over and over and over and over. 
and then you find that you're remembering the next line, it's coming, and, and so you, it becomes a part of you then. So I followed that. But then we came to the read through. Now you have different voices coming in, with different inflections, different uh, tempo of speaking. And the first line Othello had, has in the play is, tis better as it is. And so I hear people doing, so we're in you know, oh gosh, I, I could do, oh, actually I could do, tis better as it is. It's better as it is. It's better as it is. It's better as it is. And I thought of about 32 different ways <laughs> of saying this thing, because then somebody would say it a certain way, and then there's an oh no. After then you have to. It's it's a dance that you're you're embarking on. Doesn't happen in opera. In opera, you've got your music and you can sing it loud or soft or whatever, and you've got a, somebody up there going, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and if you skip a line too bad, you know, he goes on to the next person. You know, oh, in the play, and Trevor put down a, a rule, the two-second rule, no pause longer than two seconds, otherwise the play, you know, just <laughs> And so you, you make your, your, your father love me often invited me, still questioned me the story of my life from the year to year, the battles. And it was a great ride, but it was, I had, I walked into hell. I walked into, there's a story of um, a, a man being in prison for like 30 years and then suddenly he, he's free to go, he freedom that he's been longing for, for and and he stays there and he can't move because all he knows is the air of his, that was his world and to step out there, it was like that with Othello. And I wanted to turn tail and run. And, um, well, you have been known to do that, but you, you obviously chose not to on that occasion. I never turn tail and run. I always walk. <laughs> but I, 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 I don't like to turn away from anything. Yeah, I, I, had a, I walked out of that thing, but it was a thing for self-preservation. And anything that I walk away from, it must be because of the preser preservation of my integrity, whatever that is at that time. I remember being uh, a couple of years ago in Copenhagen, and I was a guest to do Tannhäuser. I was the only guest, and um, there was a talk through of the, the piece, and the, the director was a lady, and she was great. And she mentioned my, the, my character a couple of times. But it's all, they say, they're holding these things. And I'm sitting there saying, this is rude. I'm the only guest. They all, they're wonderfully educated. They all can speak English. Why is she doing this? Mm. And I said, you know, I could just very quietly <laughs> stand up. Don't look at anyone. 
and I contemplated this, and I'm capable of doing that. And, um, but then I thought, okay, so then there you are outside. <laughs> what have you achieved for yourself? Oh, well then I can just continue walking, go to my hotel, and um, pack and go home. Say, yeah, but what do you gain there? I mean, you walked out and I don't know. Don't walk out. So I got up from my seat in a situation like this, and I walked up to the lady in front of me, and she looked at me, and I said, and I went up to her and I said, maybe you could say some of this in English. And she went, oh, yeah, of <laughs> course. And I went back to my seat thinking that I had scored. <laughs> and she went, as also and I thought, what are you going to do with it? This is going to go under. So I sat there and she went, this is all you need to And then at a certain point I said, all you still need to know, all the things you've got, stay here, all that. And everybody in the room. And then they laughed because what I said didn't make any sense at all. And from then on, she started speaking English, <laughs> which I thought was quite fantastic. And I didn't have to walk up. Because why do I do anything? Why? 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 Not, to, not against anyone, but preservation of this little thing here. So did, was that a one-off acting experience then with Othello? Or did you do any? Did you do any other roles? Um, no, Trevor. Trevor had promised me that after I've done a theater, that there would be many offers um, to do films, and indeed there were a few. And um, I had to choose because um, it was quite a special experience. That and I missed music. I missed the the introduction to a piece which actually gives you an idea of the emotional content that you can either go with or go against. This and there's something about music and the soul and the, the, the relationship. I find, I find it really interesting that within every opera I've done, you, you start, the, you have the piece and you have the characters and you start music rehearsal and you actually form a community, a little community is formed, welded by the music. In the play, there is a sort of community, but there's always one star, or, you know, there's a male, female, old male, young male, old female, young female, and the one that's not so young or not so old, trying to, to pose and fix their set, and the dramas, and, you know, the... Oh, they go through hell, it seems like. And I decided to construct heaven by following this thing that inspired me when I was 13, into the transformation of my life, into the, the, the power of change and so on. So um, I didn't um, accept those jobs. I thought I'd stick to my singing. We're very grateful. And I think it's about time we heard something else, because I'm sure some of you got some questions. No. So we've had Italian, we've had German, now we're going to have something in, in English.
from... It's time for another song. Go on, it's time for another song. You know, there's a little word in English called if. And it stops a lot of traffic. <laughs> traffic of uh, progress or, uh, or agenda. You know, if, if my boss wasn't such a... Oh, why, if she hadn't said that, you know? And so on and so forth. This one is, if I were rich, what would I do? Give lots of money to Ian O. Thank you, Willard. So any questions from any anybody here? I'm sure Willard will manage to give you a very good answer. I just wanted to ask you about your singing at Glyndebourne. And uh, I think the first time you sang was 2009, was it? In Porgy? Was it earlier than that? 1970. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about that experience? <laughs> well, I auditioned for Glyndebourne. And... Um, I didn't hear anything, and I thought, you know, this rarefied place. And then I was at a reception once, and the then intendant came up to me, and he told me a little story. Um, and he said, this incident that took place meant that this particular person would never work at Glyndebourne again, ever. And he walked away. And then I heard the next day that I had been given a contract. And I thought, ooh, that was a warning. <laughs> that was a warning. So having been warned, I decided, well, I'll go and see. And I had a great time. The first thing I did there was, um, I think it was the Sprechen Magic Flute. And I also did La Boheme. And I spent the next 10 years, 10, 11 years, every season, going to Glyndebourne until Trevendon invited me to do um, the Othello. And um, this was the, the production I was doing was Porgy and Bess at Glyndebourne, <coughs> which I uh, found another interesting thing. But anyway, um, I accepted uh, three years later. And the three years later, um, I was contracted to do, and I had signed the contract, to do a race progress at Lionborn, playing Nick Shadow. And I didn't go on my knees, but my agent went on his knees and, and asked them um, if they would, could release me from, from the contract, because this very unusual, special um, offer was made me, and yes, I would like to explore the the, the theater doing Othello with, at the Royal Shakespeare Company and, you know, with Trevor Nunn and uh, at the other place and wouldn't it be great? And they sort of went, okay. And ever since then, I've never worked at Blank. <laughs> well, next year, in, um, in this summer, I was offered to do... Um, Don Ferrando in Fidelio. And I said yes. So 
So I will be singing at blind one if everything goes as dreams can go out this coming summer. Thank you. <laughs> Any other questions for Willard? Yeah. Because you act the songs that you sing rather than just hit the notes, I mean, you personalize them, you communicate in a way that's incredibly immediate. And I can understand how you can do that in a song cycle that you're working through or in the middle of an opera, but how the heck do you do it when you're just... It's like doing a standing jump and doing a Fosbury flop at two and a half metres. It's extraordinary. Well, thank you. What a compliment. <laughs> but how, how do you get into the role, like snapping your fingers? I mean, it, it, it's not just a technique. It's... It's in your head, isn't it? There is something that goes on in my head. And um, I remember there were the days when, um, when I was in New York and um, I was working at the New York City Opera. And um, believe it or not, there was a policy there um, that expressed itself in that they, they would put makeup on me to make me look as white um, as you know, as the, you know, the Caucasian color, which was one hell for the makeup design because it but then it was another hell for this being here looking. And then the hands weren't done, so you know I didn't know what to do with my hands. And, and so and I thought, what an unholy experience. And also because the training. Um, and it's a lot of it's the same. It's a similar thing that a lot of young singers suffer from today. Um, because of the training, um, you were trained to to be a certain way, and um, and I couldn't be like that. I couldn't be like the next white guy, and they thought that they could be like each other, but we're all different. And I would watch them make a fool of themselves, and I realized that I only had one thing is what I believe and I must find a way because what I also what it taught me was that everything that I would read or write I mean, or sing is an interpretation a man has made an interpretation from whatever he's experienced or what he's seen or dreamt of and he puts it in words on paper and it's a man and guess what I'm a man and I can relate to all of these expressions. So I make them my own. Because actually that's all we can do. I would have colleagues who tell me, well, you know, I've written this picture to, have to read, up, read, up, read up about this character and see, you know, how they get, and, and you see them and they make a mess of themselves because they're faking. For me, one of the greatest compliments I had, I did a Motan in, in Salzburg. And um, when I did it in this country, um, uh, in, where are we now? My goodness, I forgot. This is England. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, did it, I did it in the United Kingdom somewhere, um, and there were demonstrations um, uh, with people holding up banners, is, is Bolton black? And they were handing out pamphlets and so on. And I remember that the intendant of the company came to me before this happened and said, look, we've got a problem. Um, there's some people with Odinists who um, or want to, uh, they're protesting against the fact that you're doing Wotan. What are you going to do? 
I said, um, I'm going to sing. What are you going to do? <laughs> you can, you can tell, if you tell me you don't want me to sing because of this pressure from us, it's okay. It's your problem. It's not mine. I'm going to sing. So I sang, and, and you know, to this day, not one of my colleagues ever said it, it, it hit the press. It was on television and all that. And, it, and um, nobody believed, because they were always saying, well, there's no racism in opera, is there, will it? And I could, I'd say, well, you know, you could wear my shoes someday. But when that hit the press, not one to this day ever said, oh my gosh, I can't believe that people could do that sort of thing today. So that sort of thing makes me a stranger. But I'm invited, so why, why have I gone there? And what do I want? And I never go anywhere looking for anything. I bring something. That's, that's my savor in every situation. I, I don't go looking for anything because you're going to be disappointed. So this lady in Salzburg, when I did both, and I was walking in the streets one day, the woman stopped me and said, you are the front. <gasps> and I thought, oh, here it comes. And she said, you are a true German girl. <laughs> But I'm Jamaican. She says, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Everything you did was like a god. It was. And you know, when I thought of doing the role of Wotan, I thought, you know, what does a god do? But it's man's idea of what God's doing. I'm doing Jupiter now. There's one heck of a thing doing Jupiter. <laughs> and he talks about, I am the god of the gods, and you will do as I say. <laughs> what is that? So, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's believing what you're saying, and, um, and that's it. And, and, and I make the plan to also be like that when I'm off stage. A couple met me a few, um, uh, about two years ago now, up in Scotland, and um, after a concert, and they said, Sir Willard, you know, you've given us so much. I said, yeah, yeah, man. You look like you don't believe what we're saying. You give us so much. I said, yes, yes, yeah. You still don't look like you believe what we're saying. And I'm saying, yeah, yes, I do, and I walk you as well. But you don't understand. You know, you affect so, and I said, would you like me to tell you what I do? I said, yes. I said, you know, I just imagine me in my dressing room going, oh, <coughs> uh, <coughs> okay, I'm keep her out there. Yeah. I must go out there and, and give them give them this. And I go out there and I see some guy. It affects me because I'm feeling that I'm about to give them some, they're not ready. Too much pressure. I said, I don't give anything. I go out there and I find out who am I in front of these people every moment. Who are you? Why are you here? What are you doing here, Willard Wentworth White? Go home. No, I've got something to say. And so that's, that's actually what I, which I, I had to use that. I had to discover that to survive because I couldn't deal with this white makeup. And when I actually came to this, this country, and I, I was doing, I remember doing Electra at the, um, 
of the Welsh National, this fantastic Harry Cookford production. And um, I had decided that I didn't want to do this white face stuff because it's ridiculous. And I didn't make any protest, but somehow the energy transferred. And so I wasn't made up to look white. And somebody, quite an important, so-called important person, came to me and said, you know, Willa, it's a bit strange to see that you're Electra's brother, and, and she's white, and you're, you're, you're like the way you are. <laughs> and I said, of course, because you think so. For me, it's okay to make believe. And she didn't know what to say. I didn't make any big protestation or anything. I said, yeah, you think so, fine. But guess what? Here am I, and I'm exploring. Yeah, so um, that's what, what's happened. And this has taught me a lot about life. Who am I? Not superior to or inferior to, I am. Hello. Um, no. I just wanted to ask, you talked about <coughs> sitting under the tree when you were 13 Sorry, years old. Oh, you talked about sitting under the tree when you were 13 years old yeah. and decided that this was going to be your path. What had your background been? Did you grow up in a, in a family where music was important or were you unusual within your community? And then how, was the, how, did, you, how did you make the journey from Kingston to... Juilliard, I'm not involving um, uh, transport <laughs> I mean, in, ter in terms of your path and uh, was it through teachers, was it through school and where, yes. did, where did the encouragement come from, was it just interested? Yeah, um, thank you. Um, it's, um, it is a peculiar story. In a way a lot of people um, say it shouldn't have happened. Um, but. I think that, you know, um, how, how did this happen? But from that, from that experience <laughs> under the tree, when something was ignited inside me, which um, no one can give me, nor can they take it away. Um, and I, I, I realized that I could have buried it, but I would have continued singing because I loved singing. But, um, it was a frustration when I when I got to 20 years old, and I, um, well, before that uh, I was in high school, uh, and um, we had learned Panis Angelicus, I think, was a piece, and um, we were all singing it in this class. So the um, Roma Doyen Fitchett was our music teacher, the Russian lady, very boxer lady, and. Um, we had learned it so well that this particular class, I decided I was going to sing to my heart's content. So I hid behind two of my classmates, and I let rip, let rip. And, and my singing was inspiring the other people in the class to sing, you know, full. And the teacher thought this was a fantastic, and, and praise her, she almost applauded at the end of the class. So we're filing up because the music room is set, and then you you come in uh, to, and then you go to your other class. We're going out and um, as I was passing her, she said, will it? And those days, if the teacher calls you like that, it's something very serious. 
And she said, come here. And people are passing by. Oh, boy, Philip is in trouble. Philip is in trouble. And she said, I heard you. And I thought, oh, gosh, not a, not a detention. Because I was singing out too loudly. She said, you will come back to see me after school. So I went back after school and she said, now then, you are going to enter the school competition. We had a school I stayed for. And, um, and I'm going to teach you this song. And you will sing it. No argument. I love, I mean, the idea of somebody <coughs> singling me out um, to sing like that, I thought, hmm. And it, wasn't, it was sissy stuff, but I was also a shot put thrower and discus thrower and very strong athlete in my school. And I had records there, so it was okay, you know, to, to, uh, to do the singing. So I learned this song. It was Valentine's Aria from um, <coughs> Faust. A little bit too high for me. So I learned it. And uh, there are a few guys who have been winning the competition, you know, like every year. And I won. Now, you asked me about my background. I didn't play any instruments. I said to my father once, um, when I was about nine years old, hearing a trumpet, I think maybe it was Louis Armstrong, I don't remember. And I said, I'd like to play the trumpet, Daddy. And he went, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> well, my father didn't know where to find anywhere to give me trumpet lessons. He didn't have the money to do that sort of thing. If he had it, I mean, there are other things to do. Trumpet lessons, I mean, what does a boy want to play trumpet for? It's ridiculous. And so that was the end of that. I went to high school and I, I, I wanted to play the trumpet there and there were some nice girls in the band and I thought I'd go and apply for joining the band and maybe I'd get a trumpet. I'd turn up for the rehearsal where the new ones would be in um, in, indoctrinated, indoctrinated, yeah. and um, I was given a tuba <laughs> because the trumpets were all taken. But there were these nice girls there, so I took the tuba, boom, 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 boom. I learned the bass clef quite well, and I sang and I got prizes. And, um, and then at 21, I was thinking of um, the Economist, and I was working in an office um, to garner enough funds to pay my university, not to burden my father. I was frustrated in this office because I was no good at it. And I thought, and I was looking forward to going to rehearsals. Am I talking too long? No. Oh, yeah, I was looking forward to going to rehearsals. And I remember one particular day, having had a particularly frustrating time at the office. And to allay my frustration, or to appease my frustration, many times, I, in an office break, I'd go to a far corner and sing, and sing, and then return to the desk to have it chip away once more at my... And so I was leaving the office one day, and I, there's a little barrier that I would step over, and I stepped over, and I, I was thinking that you love singing. That thing there you hate and you can't do it well. Why don't you just explore it? People have been encouraging you to sing, and I've been winning prizes at the national competitions. Why don't you just try it? So I thought, okay. And my father heard about a school called the Juilliard, because I told him that I won. And he'd seen me sing in a production in Jamaica, and he 
didn't have very many words to, to say about it. Um, but when I went to his workplace, all his workmates were saying, my gosh, man, I have heard that you're so fantastic. And I thought, where did they hear that? <laughs> yeah, and you, you, the way you sing and the way you act is so great. Where did they get this from? And then it dawned on me, it was my father. <laughs> he didn't tell me. <laughs> but anyway, so um, he heard about Julia. I wrote to the Julia, got the um, uh, acceptance. I later found out that my uh, application had reached there late. And somebody who was um, in the registrar's office um, used to play the piano for me in Jamaica for my lessons and said, oh, I know him. And the registrar said, okay, process, process it or something. And so I went to the Juilliard <coughs> to do my audition, learned the program, the seven varied items that you do, and I sang one and a half. And they treated me royal, and I thought that was normal. That's the way they treat everybody. No. Then came the day when I a few days after that, that I had to pay my school fees. I had no money because I hadn't planned that that would happen. I would do my audition, and, and because of the whole color thing, you know, people are telling me, well, you know, when you're back, you know, they don't want you in opera and all that. But and I said, well, you know, I'm just going to try, and I'll sing, and then they say no, and I'll go back home. But at least I can say, I did face the bull, and I tried. So I was invited to the registrar's office to um, finalize my payment, having been accepted. I had no money. So then I thought, oh, maybe I could work my way through and pay, you know, work, get $50, give him 10, and, you know, pay my school fees bit by bit like that. So I'm standing there in front of him, and he said, Willard White? Yeah. Oh, congratulations. You've won the second largest scholarship this year. <laughs> and I thought, but of course. <laughs> I mean, you know, oh. Yeah, um, that's, that's nice. Um, you know, it's great, so thank you. And then a few days later, I was leaving the college, and I heard, <laughs> having had a frustrating day, actually, with Italian and air training and sight singing, which I was so bad at. And I heard these instruments, um, and I knocked, I opened the door from, you know, from where they sounded, and I thought maybe faculty members were tuning up for a little jam session, and I had my shock, because there were about 60 students, some of them from classes that I had been in, they were first-year orchestra, and I'd never heard a whole group of instruments like that preparing to rehearse a fully-fledged piece of classical music. And I, that's when it hit me, and I went, no, my God. And I crawled out of the Juilliard into the street, thinking, that's it, I'm going home. It's too hard. The standard is too high for me. I'll never make it. And I turned the corner, and I worked, walked down 114th Street to Broadway. By the time I got to Broadway, I thought, what are you going to tell all those people who wave? You go, yeah, bye, Bible, and you can do it, you can. What are you going to tell yourself when you look in that proverbial mirror and say, it was too hard? And I thought, that's too easy. So I decided I'd focus on what got me there. So 
I focused on the singing, and then I could embrace more and more, starting from that confidence. That's how it happened. Then I, I took the plane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was um, the journey. And then all hell broke loose, I tell you. I'm still watching the wake of it. Well, we're enjoying watching the wake of it, too. Are there any more questions? Jenny, is that, where are we now? We've run out of time. Any burning questions? No. Well, thank you, Willard. I'm sure we've all had a wonderful evening here, listening to the philosophical thoughts of Willard White. It's been a pure pleasure for us. Thank you very much. <laughs>